Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. What's a ballooning franchise, excuse me, franchise, salary cap mean for the Seattle Seahawks and for the rest of the league? Yahoo Sports' Dory Epstein joins us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Dory, how's it going? I'm going well, Stacey. How are you? Uh, fantastic. So we've uh, read your column up on Yahoo Sports and uh, just going to run through some of what it means for the rest of the league. And then we'll get to some Seahawks specific stuff, too. But um, can you explain where the massive increase came from? Yes, absolutely. It's interesting when you see oh, about 30 percent or sorry, 30 million jump in the salary cap record high. But then you really have to think of two things. One, what does it mean percentage wise rather than just the raw numbers? And two, What's happened in the last several years? And so I talked to executives across the league. And excuse me, noise, as I'm in Indianapolis for the scouting combine, <laughs> as I imagine some of us all are. But um, I talked to executives, and they said this is really less of a, oh, new media deals causing an increase in the new money and much more of a reset from the COVID-19 years. And I thought the number that stuck out to me most was that from uh, 2016 to 2020, uh, the NFL salary cap increased 27.6%. That's the four years leading up to COVID. Then the four years after, 28.9%. So this is really more that the NFL has fully rebounded from COVID-19, but not necessarily gone much beyond that. Which franchises do you feel um, are going to benefit the most from this whole deal? Yeah, it's a great question, Michael. And I think that's something that the executives were telling me is that this is not necessarily going to change who wants to spend, but it might change particularly franchise tags. And the idea is that if you are considering tagging your player, but you have to worry about the cap space because the franchise tag hits completely, all of the cap hit in one year, now it's going to be something that will tip you over uh, over the iceberg. And I think similarly, the question is, well, who wants to, I mean, the Broncos are one that, that stand out to me because if you're not going to continue on with Russell Wilson, which seems to be where it's heading, although we never know. I know you mentioned that in the opening here. They now can absorb more of that financial hit this year than they would have been able to prior. And so I think someone who is trying to sort of like get right after COVID, this is their time to do it. I thought to me that was one of the more interesting things about this is in my mind, I just automatically go more money to spend and you're cap compliant more easily. Uh, but then you think about different ways that teams utilize that. And you're right. It's like, is there a franchise tag you were hesitant to use? Is there a player you were hesitant to cut? It's like it gives teams flexibilities in so many ways. Um, is there, uh, you know, when you look at the um, free agency period, Obviously, this is mentioned by an executive in your article. He said superstars get paid no matter what the market is. The question is how much of that filters down to the next run of guys. Can you talk to us a bit about that conversation you had uh, with with that executive about what it means for that kind of like middle tier free agents? Yeah, and I think what's interesting is I'll talk to agents about this this week in India. I talked to executives for the story I already published. But the idea is that there are going to be guys who think, hey, 30 more million per team, well, great, then I'm worth 12 million instead of 10, or I'm worth 10 million instead of eight. And when you look at that, that's not necessarily the case, particularly if a team has been operating with auction cards. Someone who's very happy to be in Indianapolis. But um, particularly if you have someone who has been operating like under the under this salary cap and they've been operating in the red. And so um, I think that 
you start to understand, well, then if the agents misjudge the market, guys might start taking one-year deals because they say, I think I'm worth more than what's being offered now. And so it's essentially adding franchise tags that aren't called franchise tags to the market so that guys can get back to the market next year when they believe they are going to be worth more. Now, are they? I don't know. But I think that that's what will be interesting. Um, do you feel like um, GMs were anticipating this type of bump? Do they have any type of inside information to where they can kind of anticipate this thing? Or are they waiting around like everyone else? You get the number, then then they get to work. Do you, or do you think that they were kind of getting ahead of this whole deal? Yeah, that's a great question. I talked to three different executives, all of whom projected the salary cap to be somewhere in the 245 to $250 million this year. And so that means that when they were planning, they did expect a bump, but not a bump all the way to 255, which is what we saw. And the reason they do that is they would rather project conservatively and make sure that they can get all of their plans. And then if you have a little extra, great, better do that than make a plan that you're not going to be able to follow through with. So not all of them were shocked about this. Actually, what I thought was interesting, I will say, I guess I did talk to one agent who pointed out that as the executive said, this is a big win for the NFLPA and particularly for first-year executive director Lloyd Howell be able to sort of negotiate this bump right away and they're not saying a lot about that and i think that's interesting just when you consider the management styles and potentially it's going to be a more collaborative and combative approach between the pa and the league to negotiating matters like this you spoke with agents you spoke with executives you spoke with lots of folks about the nfl salary cap increase and about the league's uh off season what to you was maybe the most striking or surprising or interesting thing Great question. I think one of the things that really struck me is the way that this agent was sort of talking to me about all of the things that they have to, or sorry, sorry, the executive was talking to me about what they have to consider. Because when I think of it, I'm like, great, more money, but also everyone has the same amount of money. So does it offset? But this executive pointed out to me that if you look at the growth of the salary cap over the roughly last 18 years, then you have this, this system where the superstars are getting way more money than they did before. The minimum salary guys are getting more money than they had before. And to the free, that, that sort of like middle class that almost doesn't exist in the NFL, that's where this is getting squeezed. Then you add to the fact that guys can, that teams can have 55 instead of 53 on an active roster now. They can have more practice squad guys. Well, it's still the same salary cap. And so if you wonder why with this increase in money, we're not necessarily seeing an increase for those tier two and tier three guys, that's why is because teams are still having, are actually paying more people from the same pool. Is there a, a free agent that you felt um, will benefit the most from this whole deal or someone who, who won't benefit? I'm just – no number, numbers ain't my thing. So I'm relying on you to, to, to keep making sense of this for me. Yeah, that's a great question, and I'd want to look more into it. But I think one person who interests me is a guy like Chris Jones of Kansas City because I think that the question is, like, we saw last year they get down to the wire and really past the wire because that is a defensive tackle who is the – heart and soul, physically and emotionally, of the Kansas City defense, who sat out the first game, which was a loss against the Lions, so that he could get what he, he wants. And I think that this is not going to be something where teams just all of a sudden want to pay him this multi-year deal, because he's an older guy, and I think that this is more about the cap hit now. And so I think there are the guys who might benefit from it, and there's also the guys who might not benefit as much as they think when they first see a number like this. Hey, um, kind of uh, leaning back into that dead cap salary, uh, dead cap question. Um, you mentioned, hey, for a team like the Broncos, it's easier to absorb a lot of dead cap and make a tough decision. The Seahawks are a team that's also looking at a tough decision when it comes to Jamal Adams. I know that for fans, they go, oh, my God, move on from him. I'm done. Like if they're frustrated with him. Um, 
but the team has like a 20 million in a dead cap if they move on. Is that a kind of decision that that you can kind of see being more likely now? Yeah, I think that's the point. If, if the Seahawks didn't want to make that move, I don't think this will change their mind. But if they were on the fence, I think this could hit the scale. And I think it also depends, okay, well, how much cap space did they have before this $55 million increase or reset? And so when you, when you sort of look at this, a lot of this is about um, where you were before, but it's more about a tiebreaker than it is about completely changing someone's mind. You got a new head coach over here in uh, Mike McDonald. Um, I'm sure he's sitting down with the accountant. Um, do you think that this changed the way that he approaches this offseason, or do you feel like there's a template that um, coaches, especially new head coaches in general, just follow regardless? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me this question because y'all are way more plugged into the Seahawks than I am. But when I was watching um, Pete's final press conference, and he had that comment about after 14 years, John, you've been waiting for this chance, and now it's your time. And it, like, took me a minute to be like, hasn't he been the GM during that time? And in some ways, it felt a little, again, from the outside. Y'all know better than I do. Like, a little bit of a slight of, like, I've been running the show, not you. And now it's your turn to run the show. And so I think that this is a chance for John Schneider to be like, hey, here's what I think is best for the team. And while Mike McDonald has a great vision for for how he wants to scheme players, and he was incredible at scheming the Baltimore defense. And I also think that he will be heavily involved in the direction they go. I do think that a case like this, it will more be them having conversations to be on the same page, but I would expect Schneider to be the one calling the shot. I'm going to totally shift gears, step away from the salary cap, and talk about the draft. Uh, You and Jason Fitz uh, broke down on inside coverage this draft class of quarterbacks. Seattle fans are obviously wondering if Seattle's going to do something at 16, if there's a J.J. McCarthy, you know, if if maybe, you know, later on they find Michael Penix or Bo Nix. How do you see this quarterback class after the very obvious picks at, you know, one and two? I think what's interesting is that you, we say very, or very obvious picks at one and two, which is true. But what I thought was, was, was fascinating to me is that Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network had a conference call for a bunch of this last week, and he said, he, it would be crazy, essentially, if four guys, four quarterbacks win the top five picks, but he doesn't think it's out of the question. So when you're talking pick 16, to me, if you really want your guy, you're going to have to trade up from that. And again, is that guy going to be a better, um, a more sure bet and a more sure bet also in the long haul than Gino? And I would have questions about that. And so I think that uh, while I don't know, it'll be interesting. I also don't think that every team is going to value these quarterbacks in the same order. We always see a little bit of difference. And so for the Seahawks, what will be important is just trying to get as much intel as they can about those top teams, about who likes what quarterback and what they're willing to do to get there, and then go and figure out how much do we want our guy and what are we willing to do. I look at the teams with the, with the most cap space, and I go all the way down to number six and number seven. That's Houston Texans and the Detroit Lions. Man, I think both of these teams are already attractive when it comes to free agents just because of the year that they had and the potential. Should we expect one of these teams are both to be extremely aggressive now that uh, they got a bit more to work with. It is okay. What contracts do you already have coming up? Whether it's like a Larry Tunsil type that you need to extend. Who do you want of your star rookies? How much are you planning ahead for them? And then also, what draft capital do you have? Because again, Houston traded to get that two and three last year. 
So how much do they need to consider that when they're averaging, like, what kind of cheap guys they need? Um, but I do think that if I'm a free agent and I'm deciding between teams, like, yeah, I would love to go to one of those two teams because not only are they really talented, they're also ascending, and you can go be part of something special in either one of those places. She is Yahoo Sports' Jory Epstein. Make sure you check out her latest column on Yahoo Sports about the salary cap and great stuff on her X.com account uh, previewing the draft, too. Thanks so much, Jory. Thanks, Jory. Great to talk to you, Stacey and Michael. Talk to you soon. See ya. Uh, I met Jory at a Seahawks training camp for the first time in person. We had interviewed her once before. Uh, and uh, she was so nice and so cool. Uh, and I really enjoyed having her on. But I'm going to be really honest, you guys. Obviously, she was outside. I know that the sound quality was tough. But Jory's so smart and had such good stuff that we were sticking with it. She was outside the scouting combine. So she has to, like, stand on the road because inside are just nothing but mics and loudspeakers and whistles. Um when that car drove by and started hocking its horn, I thought, did we just lose Jory? <laughs> that <laughs> I was thought she, I thought I was we like, thought she was at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Right. Yeah, exactly. Was, Jory, are you are you still with us? Are you okay? Also, back to back to back, great questions <sighs> for Michael Bumpus. A performance none of us will Someone texted in. They were like, dang, Kobe, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm devastated. Let's get to four down territory. This is Four Down Territory, going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down bump, what's a sad reality about the culture of young athletes and offseason football with the Cam Newton situation brought to light? Man, it's this is um this was sad to see. I, as some of you know, I, I own a training facility, Elite Training Academy, holla at me. And uh, we compete in seven on seven tournaments. And even my program had been caught up in, in the, the mix when it comes to just the culture of seven on seven. Now, the more I look at the culture of seven on seven, it starts with leadership, right? Mm. You got dudes who are unqualified to be coaches that are leading programs at some times. Like, I mean, you look at the coaches, they're yelling at the referees and the parents and the sidelines are getting crazy. Seven on seven is the most hostile environment I've ever been in when it comes to a player or in a coach. Now, I played at Auburn where it gets it gets crazy. Wisconsin, it gets crazy. Otson, um, all across the country, right? There's a craziness that stays in the stands. With this seven on seven stuff, this craziness is on the sidelines. And there's no governing body to kind of hold people responsible. Like those guys who got at Cam Newton will be in a tournament next week and no one's going to think twice That's of it. That's wild. It's nuts to me. And, um, you know, it's up to the program to kind of corral their parents and their coaches to act accordingly. But this is just where the culture is going. You look at, like, the celebrations during 7-on-7 tournaments is ridiculous. The language that's being used. And some people are saying, oh, stop being soft, this competition or whatnot. I'm... I dare any of those coaches or parents or players to behave the way they do during mm-hmm. 707 on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, and you're not going to be on the team. You're going to get kicked off the field. So it didn't surprise me that this went down, especially because Cam has a big personality and he might say some things that you don't like, but there's no reason for parents or coaches to be going after a Cam Noon or anybody um, to, to that degree. So um, if you are in the 707 circuit or you got kids uh, in the 707 circuit, you've seen this before and it's not going to surprise you. I got eight teams in Las Vegas right now. Uh, they're on the way back, actually. Uh, biggest tournament in the country, and there was a fight there. I'm not... Fights happen all the time in sports. Sure. Anywhere. But, but at on the, the rate that it does on 707, it's a problem. I like something something needs to happen. Something needs to go down. But I put it upon the leaders of each program uh, to kind of nip it in the bud and, and uh, make sure it doesn't happen at that rate. Because it's going to happen. But uh, at the rate, it's it's ridiculous, man. And, and Cam is 6'6", 250. 
you better have ran at him with three, four, five guys because uh, he would have slapped somebody. But he didn't put his hands on nobody. He just kept throwing guys off of him. I it's crazy, man. I didn't even realize the environment was that insane. Yeah, it's crazy. And I didn't tie it to the lack of a governing body. That's really interesting. There is no government. It's it's stupid. <laughs> Second down. <laughs> Why would a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. refuse to do drills at the scouting combine? Now, I know initially people are going to there are some people who are always going to attack an athlete whenever they can. It's a privilege to go to the combine and, and he should go out there and compete. Why? He's the best receiver in the country. There's only a few players in each league at any level that have a position of privilege and leverage. And that's where Marvin Harrison is. He's going to do his drills in his environment with his people, a controlled environment. And I don't blame him for doing that. Am I disappointed that he's not going to go out there and compete for sure? Because selfishly, as a consumer, as an analyst, I want to see what he looks like. But in reality, if you are considered the best receiver in the country, you are in control of the situation. You know you're going to go top 10. You know he can have a workout at the uh, Wendy's parking lot and 32 scouts are going to show up to watch him watch him do his thing. So, no, I'm disappointed, but uh, I get it, man. He, he, he has earned the right to not compete there. Go ahead and talk to coaches, interview, do your thing, but have them travel to Ohio State and watch them do his thing, man. So as disappointing as it is, um, I understand it, and I wish him the best of luck. He don't even need luck. He cannot do nothing. He, he he can do nothing in the combine and nothing at his pro day, and he will still get drafted top 10. Why go out there and risk injury if you're him? If it you makes were no a sense. top 10 pick like Marvin Harrison Jr., where would you force scouts to come watch you work out? Oh, they coming to Pullman. <laughs> yeah, difficult trip, right? Bring your butt to Pullman and watch me do my thing because I would have murdered the competition for three years. I've earned that right. Go ahead, Marvin Harrison. Do your thing. Third down. With the offseason comes contract talks and rule changes. What are your thoughts on the hip drop tackle and what should the NFL do about it? So um, I hate the hip drop tackle. I understand why it happens, though. I mean, you are trying to catch a player from behind. You wrap your arms around his waist. You drop your weight to um, to uh, to make the tackle. Now, I hit up Lofa Tatupu just to kind of get some 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 real linebacker type talking. He goes. It reminds him. Now, this is he said, make sure I say this and uh, put out there that he doesn't have any numbers or anything like that. This is just his opinion. So this is just an opinion. There's not no facts or numbers behind it. But the way he described it, I go, that's it. He goes, all it is is a revised collar tackle or a horse collar tackle. Because essentially you're doing the same thing. You're behind the player. You're dropping your weight. And uh, you're, you're making that player fall backwards. That's why you get the ankles, the knees, and all that stuff. And I think that's right. It's kind of a defensive response to the horse collar being outlawed. And uh, it typically happens in the open field. So I think, honestly, I think you got to get rid of it. As, as soft as I feel saying that, because I'm all about defensive players doing what they can to get the ball carried down because the game is built for the offense. I look at that tackle and I go, it's caused so many dang injuries, mm -hmm. man. And it is a response to the horse collar being um, outlawed. So, no, I'm, I'm with them with the NFL 100%, man. You got to do something. You can get your arms around a guy's waist, man, but just fall forward and take him down. You've already lost the battle if you're behind. If you're behind the ball carrier, you've already lost that battle. Just take the yards that he has and, and move on. But, no, I think it's uh, it's important that they do something about this, man, because it's dangerous. I, I remember against the uh, – were they Oakland at the time? Yeah, Oakland Raiders. I was in a preseason game. I'm running across the field. I catch the football, and uh, I'm running towards the sideline, and I get horse collared. And I kid you not, I felt – like my ACLs were so close to popping. Like you felt the strain that he let go just in time. And I got up. I was like, oh, snaps. That was so close to being bad. Oh. I felt it before. It's scary, man. So, yeah, you got to get rid of that. God, I can't imagine. Fourth down. 
does the salary cap change the way you look at the Seahawks roster? Surprisingly, no. Because that I think surprising. I think you still have to figure out what you're going to do with Jamal. And I think most people think they're on the same page with that. I think that um, you still have to do what you can to keep Leonard. And I think you still have to do what you can to keep Jordan. I look at the tight end room the same way. All right, well, how many of those are, are you going to keep? I don't think it forces you to do anything. I think it, it allows you to look elsewhere a bit more. I look at um, Gino and what, like Curtis pointed out in the show email, I still think he's on a good deal because as Curtis pointed out that next year, he's only going to count for about 11% of, uh, of the salary cap. So, no, only thing it does is says, all right, go ahead and make a bid for Queen. But with that, Baltimore is going to make a, a higher bid for Queen, and so is everyone else in the league who's looking for a linebacker. So, yeah. Yes, I love that there's more money to be spent, but I look at the top, what, 5% of the roster, and I go, all right, you still got to do what you can to keep those guys. It's the guys who are coming off the bench, who are running down on special teams and all that. How many of those guys can you fill in? How many uh, quality guys can you fill in in those roles? So, no, I look at the, the roster the same. You still keep Geno. Got to figure out with Jamal. You want to keep Brooks. You want to keep Leonard. You have to look at the tight end room. Uh, the, uh, the offensive line, I think you're going to hit the draft for that. So, no, it, it's – as crazy as it seems to add 30 million to that thing and and to see the possibilities, I still feel the exact same way about the Seahawks roster. Spring training baseball coming your way in less than an hour at about like a, what man is it like 11:55 noon? Uh, you guys are gonna 11:55 uh, exactly. 50, okay, Stacey. don't make Be me. Ready for did it. you stop? This is threatening and this is aggressive. <laughs> Uh, we do have a hard out. And that will end the show. Uh, we do have a hard out because notice. we are sending you to Mariners pregame. And then you've got day baseball, one of the best things uh, about the beginning of spring. Uh, first, though, you're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Should storming the court be banned? Plus, Russell Wilson talks about his future in Denver. That's next. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy, Brought to you by 1-800-DUI-OA. Should storming the court be banned? That's how we're leading off the timeline. Another court storming incident happened over the weekend. You guys already know uh, that Caitlin Clark, now Bump and I both thought that we love Caitlin, but she might have flopped just a little bit in a court storming incident. People were really upset about it, and they were saying, hey, 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 maybe we shouldn't have court storming at all. These athletes right. are still leaving the field. And there have been a couple incidents of both court storming and rushing the field after a football game where you could see you know, fans take cheap shots, whatever, because it's just pandemonium. Well, uh, over the weekend, Duke star Kyle Filipowski was injured after Wake Forest beat the Blue Devils. Uh, right here is uh, John Shire. He's the Duke head coach after the game saying that storming the court should be banned. I'm more concerned about the, the well-being of our guys. You know, Flip sprains his ankle. When are we going to ban court storming? Like, when are we going to ban that? Like, how many times does a player have to get into something where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted right in their face? And it, it's a dangerous thing. You look around the country and Caitlin Clark, something happens. And now Flip, I don't know what his status is going to be. He sprains his ankle. And it's one thing, like, when I played, at least it was... 10 seconds in the court, you know, you would storm the court. Now it's the buzzer doesn't even go off and they're they're running on the floor. And this has happened to us a bunch this year. It's part of it. We need to be better. We need to learn from this. That needs to stop. Should court storming be banned? I've heard several arguments, right? Mm -hmm. 
in the last what couple days has been big. I now, have another one if you want it. Okay. No, no, no. Okay, I can, I can respond. Okay, because I'm like this might add to your to what you're saying, so I'm giving you some extra ammo here. Uh, this is Mike Greenberg with his rant on it. Let's address the stupidest among us, the people who are on social media after Caitlin Clark got knocked down or after Kyle Filipowski gets knocked down, blaming them, suggesting right. that they're flopping or something like that. These are people who belong where they are, who are being run into or whatever the case may be by people who absolutely do not belong where they are. Like this moment, for example, people suggesting, oh, Caitlin Clark was faking that to make it look worse than it were. Shut up. That is and if you're pointing at that Kyle Filipowski looks like he was being aggressive, you know what? If I'm where I'm supposed to be, and you could, well, I'm a bad example of this. If you're <laughs> where you're supposed to be, and someone has come running at you, and you have no idea what their intentions are, you're going to do exactly what he did also. So if you were one of these absolute morons on social media who are suggesting this was Kyle Filipowski's fault or instigating whatever it is that happened with this kid who went running out onto the court after him, just be aware that you are an idiot and everyone around you knows you are an idiot. A good sports radio host, of course, Mike Greenberg, yeah. but I had to play that for you because I knew Goodness that would be gracious. a good launching point. Greeny, you're an idiot for thinking that your observations are absolutely correct, right? I think there should be room left for both sides. My opinion Caitlyn sold that. She sold it. I'm not saying she didn't get ran into, but she sold it. And it's okay to say that she did. I think that we live in such a world, especially when dealing with women, you have to be really delicate with women, I feel like, especially in situations like this. Like, you can't you can't say too much about that. Even dealing with race, right? You got to be so careful tiptoeing around stuff. You can't even state the obvious sometimes, right? And I think that's the issue with Caitlyn. Did she get hit? Yeah. Did she feel some type of way about it? For sure. Anyone who watches sports knows a flop when they see a flop or can almost 70% of the time accurately say, okay, that probably was a flop. I think she flopped in green. I promise you I'm not an idiot, okay? Now, as far as uh, the Duke player, I think he was just defending himself, and I, I think that's fine. Now, as far as storming the court, here's the thing, man. It's just we try to prevent so much from happening, right? We try to prevent that. I think that is human nature to try to prevent horrible things from happening or try to get ahead of it. But then we also do dumb things like allow people to drink and then you're going to go get in your car, you're going to drive or you got a car that can go 150 miles an hour, but you're only supposed to go 60. You know, so it's it's so complicated. Right. And then I look at what college sports has become. It's become almost a professional sport with these kids or these these young men and women getting paid a lot of money if you're at, at the, the the top of this thing. Right. And the thing that we're losing is the the, the loyalty and the, the experience of, of college sports. And I look at Storm in the Court and I go, that's part of the college experience. And I think that is what makes college well, part of what makes college sports so fun. Is it dangerous? It is dangerous for sure. Um, I've been on the, the field when the, the field's been rushed before, only as uh, the winning team, never as the losing mm -hmm. team. And it is more dangerous for the kids who are on the losing side of it because you're on the road. No one cares about mm -hmm. you. They're running to celebrate with their team. People are drunk. They're right? drunk. They're, they're intense. It's a, it's a hostile environment for sure, and it can be dangerous. Um, then I heard, I believe it was Stephen A. this morning, he said, look, well, the reason why they, didn't do it, they don't do it in, in, the, in the NBA is because they got law enforcement surrounding the court. You you run up if you want to, you're going to get tackled. To whereas you go to these college events, there's 
CSC event staff, like people who are just there to collect a check. They are not about to jump in front of 100 students running at you. You usually have like a bit older people there, sometimes young, but people who aren't trained Mm -hmm. to handle these situations. So it's, look, I understand the side to ban it because it's dangerous, but I also understand the side to let these kids run out there and have fun. How many times have we seen the court being stormed and how many times have we actually seen somebody hurt from that? Yeah, it's 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 low. It happens. It does happen so, but so i understand the human nature to want to prevent this thing from happening because your guys are getting banged up and and you could lose a kid for a season so there is no right answer for this i feel like i think it has to be a case by case university by university you go ahead and, and put your bands on if you want to but also i've rushed the court when you you uh wsub gonzaga I, i've been there and it and no one in gonzaga got hurt you know it's 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 a great experience but i do understand the dangers of it so it's like there's no right or wrong answer for this because the, the yeah. thing that you want to keep college, that, that purity, that that, that loyal, that, that compete, that we're a part of this, that's part of rushing the court. You take that away, then you lose a little bit of that. I, I'm really glad that you ended with that because that is exactly the answer that I think is to this question in particular from the Mac and Jack's text line 253. What's the benefit of continuing, continuing to allow it? Excuse me. There's no real benefit, and I can see every single rational, logical, and safety argument for not having it. Like, that is not lost on me whatsoever. Yeah. But, bump, to your point... There are lots of things we do in sports where there's no actual benefit. It's about tradition. It's about culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about experiences, whatever. There are some things that don't make sense that when they aren't harmful are fine. The debate about this is whether or not the harm from or harm or risk from stork storming, stork from storming <laughs> the court uh, outweighs uh, the tradition this and is, the joy. I get trying to prevent bad things from happening all the time. It's impossible. Yeah, but I get it. Russell Wilson, next story here, spoke on the I Am Athlete podcast, Brandon Marshall's podcast over the weekend, and he shared his side uh, of the Broncos benching him story. Y'all remember when that happened for Jarrett Stidham? So we beat Green Bay, Kansas City. We beat them. As you mentioned earlier, that's when I got that call, and I was like, I'm confused what's going on. And I didn't believe it at first. I was like, this this can't be real. And I got that call that, hey, we're going to bench you for the next nine games if you know, you don't change your injury guarantee. So for me, but but be clear here, they, it's it's not they don't want to bench you because of play. They're saying they're benching you because they want you to take out the injury guarantee. Yeah, they want they yeah they want to re- push back my injury guarantee and remove it for that rest of the year. So that way, if I get injured, that they don't have to pay it. I didn't want to set a precedent for players to remove their injury guarantees, too as well. And so it, it was it was no way I was going to do that. And so when they said that hey, we're, we're going to bench, we're going to bench. I said, all right, that's what you want to do. I don't know how much that last thing actually played into it. And it wasn't just like pride and being like, no, like mm-hmm. I don't have to do this. But he does have a point. You do set a precedent of teams saying, we'll bench you unless you take X, Y, and Z out of your contract. And that can be a dangerous precedent. And I can guarantee you that's also why MLBPA got involved. Yeah, for sure. It's um, It doesn't seem fair. He's there to compete and do a job. And that's all he wanted to do, compete and do his job. You guys made the contract, right? You've made the contract. You guys agreed. You, you drew up the contract. Russell and his agent signed that thing. This is how it's going to be moving forward. Because things aren't working out the way that you want it to work out, I don't think you should try to force a player um, to sit out. And um, I don't blame Russell Wilson for wanting to go out there and do his job and compete. You know, so um, 
again, if if you don't want that in the contract, don't put it in the contract, right? Mm-hmm. Make it so there's a way out for you to do that. And then if you guys can't agree, then you move on to another quarterback. So, no, I'm with Russ on that. There's also a question about, well, Russ, what do you want? I got more fire than ever, honestly, especially over the past two years of what I've gone through, whether it's in Denver or somewhere else. I, I hope it's in Denver. You know, I hope I get to finish there. I, I committed there. I wanted to be there. You know, I want to be there. For me, it's about winning. Over the next five years, I want to win two. I want to feel the chill of that trophy again. You know, I, I love the city and everything else, but you know, you also want to be a place that that wants you too. So, the thing that I I, I want to do is, is, is win. Man. That's all. That's all I care about. I hope he does get that chance. You know, like I I don't know, like I. I have weirdly, you know, not weirdly, I kind of always like was like, oh, you do you, you know, find success. But anyone that has a massive fall from grace, you kind of reach a point where it's not fun to kick someone when they're down anymore. And maybe some people still enjoy it. But for me, I'm like, I hope it works out for you. Yeah, I'm over that. I never really wanted to kick him when he was no, down. No, Only Only reason why. I would grin at a loss is because I knew how it would affect affect the Seahawks. Not necessarily rooting for Russell's downfall, but if something bad happened, there was a benefit. The benefit is gone. And I'm like, I just want this dude to get back to a place mentally that he used to be. Because as an athlete, um, when you lose your edge, you lose that confidence, you lose the backing of organizations, mm-hmm. it can rock your world, man. So for him to come out there and be – um, still the same Russell that we're used to seeing, I think is huge. And I wish nothing but the best for him. All right. What I need to know coming your way. We're wrapping up the show early to send you to Mariners Day Baseball. So get your questions in 866 979 3776. Bumpin' Stacy. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. It's What I Need to Know, brought to you by All Red Heating, Cooling, and Electric. Get your questions in now to the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. We got you for a few more minutes until we throw you to Mariners Baseball. Love Day Baseball. It really feels like it's spring, minus the fact that it's freezing. What I need to know, what's a recent TV show or movie you were reluctant to watch, but then did and ended up liking it? Hmm. Not reluctant, but I would say I just didn't have the time in this week and I had the time. I finally knocked out like four episodes of Love is Blind. What? Yeah, What'd you finally. Think? And at first, I was like, oh, Matthew's not bad. I know. It's insane. No, I, I saw it from Matthew, the beginning. I thought Matthew was funny. Like it, the thing is, go ahead, go ahead, Bum. <laughs> I, I got into to Stacey's rim. She's yeah. about to go off. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought, yeah, my man is uh, manipulative. He is yes. uh, not honest. Yes. He's not here for the yep. right reasons. Yep. Somebody need to get him up out Gaslight. of there. Get him up out of there. Yeah. As a reality TV connoisseur, sometimes. There are um, people on reality TV that you would never want to know in person, and they're horrible people, but they're excellent TV. That's what I thought Matthew uh, would be initially for the first, like, 15 minutes. I was like, he just walked out in the middle of a date. He just rolled his eyes at someone's answer to a question. Like, this is kind of funny. This is good reality TV. This this is a good reality TV character. And then the second, I mean, it doesn't take, you're, like, halfway through the episode, and you're like, never mind. This is just... This is not a great deal. You know what he messed up? He was spitting the same lines to girls at the same bar. You got to save that, right? Yeah. You spit that line here, and then maybe two weeks later, you go to the other bar and you spit it there. But, yeah, he's a, he's a mess. I know. I like this question. How much do you think that Scott's service going to visit his players had to do with the 54% comment? I think it played a role in it. Me too. This is the, the most outspoken we've heard Mariners players during the offseason, right? Moves are being made. Mm-hmm. Your GM is saying things that 
many don't agree with, even though, let me point out, he wasn't wrong. You look at the numbers, he ain't wrong, but you ain't trying to hear that. So um, Service is doing what a good GM does, and he is uh, doing damage control right now. Oh, someone have a couple more. Uh, someone said Fall the House of Usher. I've seen that promo all the time. 90 Day Fiance, I do watch that. Um, also, I'm going to throw in the new Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Uh, yeah, I find it, and that wasn't a reluctance. It was just like, it's the thing of like, you have like six shows that you watch and you cycle through those and that's kind of it. So I just didn't commit to, I have commitment issues with new shows, you know, like, do I want to do this? It's good. Uh, or it is good. I'm on episode three. Who knows? Uh, let's see what I need to know for everyone in the room. If you are an NFL team starting from ground zero, do you draft your franchise quarterback first? Or do you build the roster up before adding a young quarterback? NFL team starting from ground zero. What does that mean, though? So, so let's no one's on the build, roster. Yeah, no one's on the roster. That doesn't, that's not it's real. It's an expansion roster. It's not real, though. Well, pretend that it is. All right, okay. Um, nah, I'm going to build the team first. Yeah. Build the team first, because you can build the team with some young talent and some some bridge players until you get better um, and kind of have a solid foundation. And then you go ahead and get your quarterback. Mm -hmm. I think if... You're just going to ruin that kid's career if you I, just draft a quarterback first. I agree. I think we've seen a lot of teams where it's like all the pieces aren't around him for this young quarterback, whether it's a bad wide receiver group in Carolina with Bryce Young uh, and a struggling offensive line, whether it's the Bears struggling offensively and defensively and bringing in Justin Fields when he can't do much of anything. And then you see a team like Kansas City that has all these pieces, gets Patrick Mahomes and just completely goes over the top. Curtis, what do you think? Yeah, I'm building up the team first and then finding the quarterback last because when you have a quarterback on on the rookie deal i mean that opens up everything in terms of spending yeah uh what i need to know oh i love a conspiracy theory what if these disgusting mlb uniforms for spring training were designed to draw attention to themselves to showcase how awesome the regular season ones are gonna be as a marketing technique i just really want to get them fixed so maybe it's a stretch uh, i mean that would be interesting you're willing to put up all this money um to uh in hopes that you'll throw some new ones out there and people will buy those so now you're asking honestly mlb fans the diehards because the diehards are going to buy those uniforms anywhere those jerseys anyway so now you're banking on them buying those and then resetting and buying another one um no i i thought they thought these were fire mm -hmm. and whoever whatever focus group that they brought in lied to them because those are horrible uh what i need to know you're on a cooking competition show congratulations uh, you're only given two ingredients, though. Tater tots and Frank's Red Hot Sauce. Okay. You can choose as many other ingredients as you like, but what's your winning appetizer? Using those, yeah. but you can add whatever. I already have my answer. Oh, uh, they're like like tots, nachos, or something like that. Oh, tachos? wow, that gives you so quickly. Yeah, that's a good answer. Okay, so this isn't quite an appetizer. I thought of a casserole, but I thought like yeah, a like creamy, a buffalo chicken. I thought, I, that's exactly yeah, what I thought. I thought that's a, what I was like a shepherd's too. pie, almost like a creamy buffalo chicken. Thing with tater tots on top. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, let's see. What I need to know. Um, how I, I need I texted the listener for more info on this, but it just says, What I need to know. How should I feel about a coworker who ordered one thousand branded notebooks with the wrong logo? Ooh. Oh man. It sounds like their coworkers uh Jerry Gergich from Parks and Rec. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the wrong logo? Yeah, they probably put the the company wanted one logo and they accidentally submitted the wrong picture and now you've got a thousand branded notebooks oh, of no. something that's not your company's logo. 
I don't, that's not a fireable nah, offense. It's an honest mistake. I mean, yeah. that is probably, I'd guess, close to $1,000 in terms of uh, payment having... That's out the window right now. I mean, we're talking mom and pop. If it's mom and yeah. pop, that thousand's going to hurt. Yeah. But if it's a big corporation, man, they, they ain't worried about that. It's more of like, a, I would imagine for something like this, it's not often a fireable offense. It's not intentional. It's an accident. But it's more of like a very big learning lesson, an embarrassing learning oh, lesson. Yeah. Double check your work. You got to yeah. walk through that office and people are looking at you funny like this guy. Uh, what I need to know, uh, when you had early dismissal from school back in the ki- back in the day as a kid, what did you do? I watched Price is Right when I got home. I went to Veterans Memorial Park and hooped for hours. This is why you became an athlete. I went home and watched Maury. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Or, yeah, played uh, video games on a PC. (laughs) 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 Like, that's that's more of what I did. Curtis, what did you do? Uh, Threw on SportsCenter, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Slammed a bag of, like, Fritos. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, you definitely, you would have, like, Maury on the TV, but then on the back button on the remote, you'd have SportsCenter or you'd have another show where, like, if you if you hear somebody coming and you know it's a show you're not supposed to be watching, then you just hit back. Uh, it's a, like, oh, back to SportsCenter. A good last question. We got to be quick with it. Who will lead the Mariners and who will lead the Mariners in home runs? Behind Julio. Quick, quick, quick. Cal. Cal? Curtis, you have to think of a different name. Uh, Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver. Yeah, that's right. He had 32 a couple of years ago. What about Mitch Hanniger? I'm going to go Mitch Hanniger. Guys, okay. it is spring training. We got a game coming your way. Pre-game coming up next. This has been Bump and Stacy. Don't go anywhere.